Well, he showed up. Let's see what you got. I showed up, and and hey, I got to say this before we start, man. So Mark told me you were going to send me a link, but I'm like, I don't even know if he knows who I am. I don't even know if he's got my Twitter handle. I did oh. find it funny. Baby Shaq said, uh, sounds like you're about to get hacked. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just kind of ignored that one because I'm, I'm like, pro- well. <laughs> I promise I'm not trying to hack you. Um, no, I wanted to uh, have this. I, I'll give you a real quick backstory. I just got done working uh, for our local news site. Just got done working at the Iowa State Fair, actually. And I ran into a guy from Jacksonville who's a huge Miami Hurricanes fan. And so I told him, I'm like, hey, we got a debate coming up tonight. So I hope he's on here watching right now. If he is, let's get it on. I, I, I think this is an interesting discussion. I did a little bit of I wish I had more time to do more digging. Uh, but I've got some numbers here that are, are interesting. And I think maybe uh, people are going to see me as not so much of a homer once I get done running through these numbers. Well, I definitely, when I talked to Mark about the situation towards the end, I said, uh, well, if he's talking about recently, then they got us. You know, now if we're talking about overall, if we're talking about at its peak, I think Miami is is kind of far out and away, the number one tight end producing program. But uh, you talk about all time, I would say Iowa is definitely in the top four or five. Uh, the only other programs I would put in front of it may be like, Notre Dame, but Notre Dame's been playing football since, well, you know, way yonder. Yeah. But it's last the last couple of years, last couple of tight ends, you know, it's it's been really good stuff. I mean, I, I think it'll be with in respect. You're not a Tallahassee guy, so I won't have to go tap back and forth with you, uh, in in disrespect, and we're just taking shots at each other. Uh, you know, you're not a Florida Gator, so I won't have to go back and forth to disrespect you in that manner either. And you're not an Ohio State suck eye. So I don't have to worry about that part either. You but know, you and Mark I, seem to get along, right? Uh, well, you know, he's the voice of college football. That's right. He's not just, <laughs> you know, and he went to Kent State, so it's it's right. different. You know, yeah. uh, you know, I'm born and raised in Miami, and I went to North Dakota State, so it's just it's different. You know, there's it's, no it's grudge good. between uh, uh, Kent State and Miami, Florida. No, it is no between our alma maters of Kent State and NDSU. So there's know, yeah, and good. there's certainly a better, probably a, a thicker grudge between. Kent, uh, Kent State and Miami, Ohio, because they're yeah. both in the MAG, but not for Miami, Florida. <laughs> right. Um, right. You mind if I share you some of these numbers that I came up? Just a quick compiling of Talk information. So here, here's what I found, and I, I think I'm, I think you and I are actually. This is not going to be some mean spirited debate because I actually think you and I are going to agree on a lot of this stuff. And this is just one criteria because that's something Mark keep, keeps bringing up to me. Well, what's the criteria? We have to establish a common criteria, and I agree with that. So here's the deal. Uh, I thought initially, let's look at this century. So we'll start in 2000 on. That's 22 right. years. I think if you go further back than that, we start to look like Nebraska fans and the disillusion right. in Lincoln. So let's just <laughs> stick from 2000 to 2022. So here's what I found out. Uh, Iowa has had 11 draft picks since 2000. I, and, and before we go on, I, I want to establish this. I did not look up NFL statistics and whatnot. And the reason I did not, and although those, you know, certainly – both Iowa and Miami have their uh, claims to make as it relates to NFL production. Because you look what George Kittle's doing right now. Certainly Miami with guys like Graham and Shockey, and we talk about those guys. But to me, when we're talking about tight end university, you have to look at who's producing the type of talent that scouts like, right? These scouts know what they're doing. So if they're getting drafted, I have trusted. If they end up being busts, to me, that's not the, the school's fault. That might be the player's fault after he leaves, right? Because I think those scouts know what they're doing. Is that a fair point? That's an interesting take. I mean, a lot. I've had this debate more than just. I have a really good friend of mine. Shout out to Mr. Rubicon. He has this big viewpoint that it's not you know Jimbo Fisher's fault that every quarterback he put out in the first round absolutely sucks yeah. at the National Football League level. I think that that if you can't prepare them to be successful in the National Football League, then you have to question yourself about about your preparation. Sure. But at face value, I definitely get where you're going. Go ahead. And I also think there's a fine line there because if Jimbo Fisher has a reputation for doing that, that's one thing. But you know, if a guy gets drafted, if, if Miami has a tight end that gets drafted in the first round in 2005 and he ends up being a bust, but all these other tight ends that were drafted then or, or drafted throughout the last 20 years were not busts, and that probably tells me, hey, maybe he, you know, whether it be an injury which is beyond his control certainly beyond the control of the university, regardless of the situation, I think there is that argument that can be made that that should be part of the criteria. But here's the, here are the numbers from 2000 Miami 
with 14 total draftees at tight end since 2000. Iowa with 11. Okay, so fairly close there, but Miami clear edge. Uh, Iowa with three first-rounders since 2000. That's since the year 2000. Miami with five first-rounders. So, again, an edge to Miami. Uh, and, and this is a number that I don't know if this is a real great – it's just kind of a quick data point that I think I, I thought I'd throw out there. Round average, because obviously we see those other two categories, Miami has the edge. But I think if we have a bunch of guys drafted in the seventh round and you're racking up numbers that way, then that you could argue that that's kind of skewing the the, uh, the final totals. Iowa is uh, their round average for tight ends drafted since 2000, 3.818. So late third round, that's the average. Miami, 3.57. So again, close. Miami certainly ha- certainly has the edge. Now, those numbers would tell me that Miami clearly is the better producing tight end school. Now, if we're looking at recency and we're going since 2010, here are the numbers. So Miami's had just one first rounder. We know their best NFL tight ends. I, I think you would agree with this. Jimmy Graham, uh, David Njoku, Chris Herndon since 2010. And Chris Herndon, I don't know. You know his numbers better than I do. Has he been great? I know he's, he's had some expectations, but is he even in, is he still with New York? I don't even know where he's at anymore. No, no, he just signed with the Saints earlier this week. It's funny you asked that question. He signed with the Saints. He was up here close to me uh, with the Vikings, but he injury riddled at that time. But he was actually a pretty good um, tight end for the Jets, not too yeah. much. I mean, he had one season where he topped out about 400 yards and four touchdowns. So he was adequate, but nothing yeah. to jump off the screen. So those are your three best tight ends since 2010. Are there any doubt about that? Because the other options – here are the other guys that Miami's had drafted since 2010. Uh, is it Diedrich Epps? Yeah, Diedrich Epps, it? Clive Walford. Walford, Richard Gordon. Yeah, Gordon was a seventh rounder. He was a blocker kind of guy. Yeah. And is it Brevin Jordan? And Brevin Jordan, yeah, drafted last year. And drafted. It, it was a he injury riddle too, but it was just once he was a rookie last year. Right. Yeah. Iowa since 2010. Here are the, the guys Iowa's had drafted. I think there's no question. And that's why I think you and I probably are going to agree on this because we, we I think Iowa is tight end you in the last 10 years. Miami com- collectively certainly tight end you from 2000 to 2010. Right. And I think collectively they still own that title. But since 2010, I think Iowa, the clear favorite, Tony Moyaki, who was a third round draft pick, but was riddled with injuries, was a really good tight end in the NFL while he played and just could not stay healthy. That guy was a freak athletically. CJ Fedorowicz was a third-round draft pick in 14. People may not remember him. He was a starter in Houston for quite some time. He had to retire because of concussions. And then, of course, we know George Kittle, fifth-round draft pick, maybe the best tight end in the NFL now. It's arguable, but he has been sensational. T.J. Hawkinson and Noah Fant, both drafted first round in 2019, the only time in the history of the NFL draft that two guys, two tight ends have been drafted in the first round the same year. So uh, certainly since 2017, Iowa has been, I think, far and away um, the uh, tight end. Do you, I also think Penn State, I brought up Penn State to Mark, at least uh, as it relates to the last five, six, seven years, Penn State's had their fair share. Uh, I'm trying to think, Mike Gesicki being one. For the um, Dolphins. Yeah, I was going to say, he's the one that jumps out to me. Who's the other? There, there's a couple other guys. Um, let me look this up here because you could also make a claim that uh, they have had a claim in this. Um Jesse James. Oh, yeah. And is Pat, he Penn State? Yes. I and thought he Pat, was Pitt. Yeah, he's Pitt State. Yeah. And well, and Pat Fryermuth. I don't know who that is. But you don't know who Pat wow. No, it isn't Pat Fryer. He's let me look up his stats because Pat Fryermuth has been uh, Nick Bowers. I don't know who that is. Uh let's see, Pat Fryermuth. Uh, NFL stats uh, in 2021 for the last year for the Steelers, 60 catches, 497 yards, and seven touchdowns. Hey, Sean, I'm a Ravens fan, so I, I could give a crap less about that. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, all uh, over the place, but yeah. So Penn State's had a good stretch as well, but I think you're. I think I think it's clear that the schools that you brought up: Notre Dame, Miami, Iowa, uh, USC back in the day, maybe. They were they were putting them out. I mean, they had some nice ones. I mean, I see the other thing I want to say in this in this conversation, because before I start spitting out stats and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Do do we want are we equating what they've done in college, meaning all conference, all uh, all American 
and statistics there. Is are we're going to view them from that lens, or we're going to view them from when they transition to the NFL, their stats and their careers there? Which one do you want to go? I think that's the conversation and and the defining that needs to occur in these types of debates because it's so easy to say, well, you know, this school's DBU and this school's linebacker U and what does that mean? You're right. What does that mean? Does that mean they're excelling at the college level? They, I, I hear the term tight end factory. Like I was a tight end factory. Is that the same thing? Right. Right. <laughs> as right, tight end right, you, right. because if you, listen, if we're looking at tight end factory, then I think the criteria we just ran through personally, I believe that's the correct criteria because right. what's, what are the best uh, schools at developing tight ends for the next level? And that is to me, Almost, I don't say exclusively, but that should be evaluated based upon uh, draft, uh, upon the NFL draft. Because again, we're t- you can't you can't project forward and look at busts and whatnot. It's how how did the uh, college program develop them for the NFL? And I think you can measure that based upon where they're picked in the draft. Now each draft is different, so there's going to be some some leeway there. But I think that's that's a good conversation. And I haven't looked into the numbers as far as. Um, production at tight end at Miami. Obviously, if you have a school that runs, and Iowa's tight end last year, Sam Laporta, who, by the way, will be another, I think he's probably going to be a top three round draft pick next year, barring some crazy thing to happen this year. I think he'll be another high draft pick for Iowa at tight end. They just run a ton of tight end uh, passes. And, I mean, he he was their leading receiver last year. That's not a good thing. That's also an indictment on the wide receiver room. <laughs> but my point is, like, if you're going to be more, it doesn't necessarily, just because you're more tight end friendly and, and your tight ends collect more stats, I don't personally think that means you have better tight ends necessarily, right? Because right. schools cannot run to the tight, you know, throw to the tight end as much, and they may still be really good blocking tight ends because obviously, you know, just equal to pass catching ability is the ability to block effectively. Especially so, at that position. I mean, for the yeah. longest... I look at, and then the other thing is Miami is the originators for a lot of things, okay? Throwing the forwards up, running out of the smoke. Everybody runs out of the smoke now, you know? Turnover props. We were the first ones that came out with the turnover chain, and then, right. well, technically Alabama had the turnover belt in 2015. They're technically the original, but we made it cool. I mean, when Miami does something, it becomes cool. It becomes bomb, bam, let's do it, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's look at tight end. Well, up until the mid-'90s, you would look at tight end as an extension of the offensive line. Okay. For God, God knows how many great tight ends could have been previous if they were allowed to get pop passes and out routes and seam routes, but they were basically just more athletic or lighter in the behind tackles right. who couldn't really get transitioned into offensive tackle just yet. And they just play tight end. Maybe early on in their career, they eat their way into playing offensive tackle and they grow from there. Uh, the reason why I bring that up is because there's been two positions. You could argue quarterback, but other people have done spread concepts at quarterback, BYU and things of that nature sure. before Miami. Well, tight end and three technique defensive tackle were made prominent at the University of Miami from the way that we used them in the passing game and tight end and the way that we had this 4-3 attack because more people ran the 3-4 uh, in the college schemes and just kind of held it down in the fronts and let linebackers scrape and move. Well, we were the ones who put in a Jerome Brown at the three technique defensive tackle. We had a coach who coached Jerome Brown and um, Russell Maryland, uh, Cortez Kennedy. He was able to go in and walk over to Warren Sapp, who was a tight end recruit, and say, hey, I think you can come play three technique defensive tackle for me and be a Hall of Famer. Turns out to be that when he was an outside linebacker, tight end prospect uh, out of country, middle of the road, Florida. So here's my thing. When you talk about tight end, the position is so iffy. And I've been a fan of what you all do with them at Iowa because they're demanded to be great at both. They're not supposed to be just extensions of the offensive line that double the five technique up to linebacker they blow people off the ball. Right. Plus, they're also able to, you know, take a kick step and make the defensive end fly and swat them by and be wide open for a pass. And the fact that you all were able to get Fant and the other guy in well, the Fant, same season. Fant is the and, – and I think Fant is the exception. You, you, I know you're not a follower, close follower of Iowa football, but if you were, you would know that in 2018, there was a lot of controversy. Noah Fant's brother was all over Twitter criticizing Iowa because Iowa wasn't playing Noah Fant very much in 2018, which seems crazy 
but he's kind of that opposite style tight end. Like I, I remember at one point Kirk Ferentz, and this was a mistake, I think, from a PR standpoint, he actually referred to Noah Fan as a specialist because of his skill set. And, you know, he is kind of just a big physical wide receiver in a way. He's that good. He's that athletic. And George Kittle, in a way, has turned into that. But George Kittle did not produce a ton at Iowa. I will say this, too. You're talking about uh, technique and and obviously different schools running different stuff. I don't know the history of, of tight ends standing along the line of scrimmage, but I know Hayden Fry back in the 80s started that at Iowa. I mean, tight ends did not stand, at least at Iowa, until Hayden Fry took over. So this is Obviously, Iowa's only had two coaches in the last 40-some years and Hayden Fry and Kirk Ferentz, but the history of, of tight end usage and and using them heavily in the passing attack, which, of course, makes Iowa a more friendly program for recruits, that has been established for 40-plus for years. I do want to ask you this. Best tight ends, if you had to name your top five, and this is just totally eye test opinion, top five tight ends since 2000 at Miami. Oh, <laughs> okay. Just on paper, let me just tell you what on paper. On paper, it appears to me that the top five would be Greg Olson, number one, Jimmy Graham, number two, uh, Jeremy Shockey, number three. I don't know if we'd go Kellen Winslow. What did Bubba Franks do? I, this shows you how... Uh, Bubba Franks was big time at Miami. 77 receptions, 1,038 yards in his career, and 12 touchdowns. And he had 12 in one season. So he to me, you're probably that's the best touchdown season in Miami history. Probably a, a clear top four. And then David Njoku was a first round. So maybe he would wrap up the, the top five. But we're also trying to we're trying to figure out how much does NFL production tie into this. Maybe top five NFL tight ends from Miami. Right. So I would say college wise, you would have to look at, you know, what what would you seem to be the flashy? Because Kellen Winslow would arguably be the number one if you go off of college. I mean, he sure. was out of this world. The man won a Mackey off of what he did his sophomore year, not necessarily what he did his junior year, because as a sophomore, his stats were out of this world. As a junior, he scored one touchdown. But he still won the Mackey because he had such a big name for himself as a sophomore. Well, Kellen Winslow, at his time Miami, is the only Mackey Award winner, had 119 receptions for 1,365 touchdowns in – 1,365 yards receiving and 10 touchdowns in his career. Okay. And eight of those came as a junior when he was tied, when he was matched up with, excuse me, as a sophomore, when he was matched up with Jeremy Shockey. Now, if you talk about the best and most balanced tight end, you would say Keller Winslow. Now, if you talk about one area, could catch a pass, make a guy miss, get down the field, you would have to bring up David Njoku. He might be the most athletic yes. guy. At six foot four, two hundred and forty some odd pounds, shredded muscle. I mean, he won the uh, West Virginia game in two thousand sixteen by itself. We throw a third and eight out route to him on the short side of the field. He makes he stiffs on the corners, makes the linebacker miss, and beats the safety for sixty yards up the sideline. He hadn't done that all season, and we were yeah. like, "Who's this guy?" But he was trying to put on who he could be and had two touchdowns, 180 yards in that game and goes off to be a first-round draft pick. Now, the best pure run blocker, I would have to say, is Jeremy Shockey. It looked like a a, a car crash. Like, he would slam down on four-eye techniques or five techniques, and they would go flying. He's also a good pass catcher, though, too. I mean, it wasn't... Absolutely. Absolutely. But he wasn't a guy. He was secured hands. He wasn't a right. guy that you're going to throw a 60-yard bomb to sure. like you would a Winslow and an Njoku. Yeah. You could even split them out wide, and they would give some corners issues. Okay, Now, Jimmy Graham, just a complete freak. Jump ball, I don't think I'd pick anybody else on in Miami history, especially tight end, with jump ball one-on-one with Jimmy Graham. I mean, 6'8", that's not fair. And he had the route, the route running ability to fade route you. You know, he can go out and be an X or Y. He didn't have to be a slot or an inline guy because his blocking was kind of iffy. So I guess that would be your, I would say, Winslow number one. Statistically, you would have to put Bubba Franks number two. I would go with Olsen three, Shockey four, and David Njoku five. Now, the conversation between Njoku and uh, Graham, I think is of conversation, but Graham only played one season at Miami 
had 19 receptions for some 100 some odd yards and five touchdowns because we put him in the red zone and just throw fade routes to him. And so to make now, it clear, your 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 rank most of your rankings here are based upon what they did at Miami, not upon correct. what they did after they left Miami. Correct. So now now my question is, how does that top five compare to if you're just looking at the top? Um, not collectively through. How does that top five compare to Dallas Clark, George Kittle, uh, TJ Hawkinson, who's young, but I would say he's got to be there. And then what would that be for Clark, uh, Clark Kittle, Hawkinson, that's three Fant four. Again, if we're looking at just Iowa production and, you know, Scott Chandler's in there who actually had a nice NFL career probably Moyaki after that. But again, I, I just, it, that's a tough conversation to have when you're comparing teams in different conferences that run different offenses. Right. Because then you could turn around and say the Iowa tight end that has 65 receptions for 800 yards and four touchdowns in a big I formation, big 10 conference. Right. How does that compare to a tight end that's going up against ACC coastal competition? Uh, which is a little bit more athletic, not necessarily smash mouth. And they may only have 30 receptions because we don't feed the, the tight end the ball. How about this? What's your your number one tight end? Read off his stats, career stats. At Iowa? Right. Well, I, I probably would go – I mean, I was pretty young when Dallas Clark was uh, was at Iowa. Let me find his stats. That's a good, that's a good exercise. Let me see if I can find – so Dallas Clark – for his career, just played two years at Iowa. Um, and his total numbers, uh, one so 81 catches for 1,281 yards in two seasons, which actually isn't, I mean. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're t- in just two years, so. Right, that's what I'm saying. That's That's not bad at all. What is that? 600 some odd yards a season that's not bad at tight end only eight only eight touchdowns for for the two years combined let me find uh tj hawkins because he was also he's a good one to compare because he was also there for just two years just played two years um because again if we're going off of that statistically your number one guy wouldn't even make our top five stats yeah, I mean that's I, that surprised me that he was uh, Dallas wasn't harder uh, higher. Uh, Hawkinson, um, so he had Hawkinson ended up with just short of eleven hundred yards, ten touchdowns on 74, 73 receptions. Noah Fant, he was a tight end machine. So for again, how much do you place on on red zone? Efficiency. Certainly that could play into it, I guess, as well. He had 19 touchdowns and just under 1,100 yards in basically two and a half years, 78 catches. So actually very similar to Hawkinson, what Hawkinson did in two years. But again, just a touchdown machine in 19 touchdowns in two and a half seasons. Right. Now, those 19 touchdowns would be a Miami record. But you're, the statistic yardage-wise, now again, like I said, we're comparing different conferences. Yardage-wise your top three guys wouldn't even be in our top five. And so what are the stu- – I'm assuming uh, – I'm assuming- Let's go down the line. I'll go with you. Bubba Franks, 77 receptions. This is over two years. 77 receptions for 1,038 yards and 12 touchdowns in two seasons. Uh, that would rank fifth all-time in Miami. Sixth all-time in Miami. Excuse me. Fifth all-time in Miami. Brevin Jordan. 105 receptions for 1,358 yards and 13 touchdowns. Uh, fourth all-time, Winslow, 1,300 yards, 65, uh, 1,365 yards and nine nine touchdowns. That's fourth. It's yards. Olsen, 1,215 yards for 10 touchdowns. And technically, statistically, the highest in Miami, and this is somebody that didn't even make my top five, is Clyde Walford with 1,735 yards and 14 touchdowns. So that's what I'm saying. How do you, you know, how do you want to go with it? That's over. He only started for three seasons at Miami also. So, And I would guess that uh, in general, 
given you you know Iowa's reputation running the football, even though Iowa's running game has not been consistently good under Kirk, Iowa is is a very run heavy offense. So although they produce tight ends that can catch the football, they really ask their tight ends to be able to block in the run game. And so certainly that's going to cut down on production. I'm not making an excuse for the the uh, difference in statistics, but a pass heavy offense that already has really good tight ends, those tight ends are going to be more involved and rack up some of those numbers. Right. And like I said, now the argument, like I said, because if you if we're going to be based on my own research, statistically, Clyde Walford is the best tight end in Miami Hurricanes history. Statistically speaking, he has the most receptions, he has the most yards, and he has the most touchdowns. Clyde Walford isn't even in my top five as far as the, the contribution he had and as far as historically at the University of Miami, but stats – and that's why I always talk about those kinds of things. You know, I'm I'm a film guy. Clyde Walford was a pretty good player, and he he was Clyde Walford. Let's see how the NFL looked at him. He was a third round pick, 68th overall. He made no Pro Bowls, no All Pros, no All Conference, and no All Americans. You know, now, but he's statistically the best tight end in my case history. Here is one that I missed. Uh, Scott Chandler okay. was uh, played three years. Uh, from 2004 to 2006, 117 catches, 1,467 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Now that's a see. That's a career. I like it. But again, Scott Chandler. I mean, you don't. I wouldn't put Scott Chandler. And maybe that's maybe that just means I'm misinformed and I'm biased towards some of these more recent guys. But Scott Chandler had a nice career in the NFL, yeah. um, long career in the NFL, but. He was drafted in the fourth round, but he racked up a lot of numbers in three years. And uh, where would that rank in the Miami numbers again? 1467? 1467 would be second all-time in Miami behind, behind Clyde Walford. Behind Walford. That's interesting. Man, I would have never – again, this is probably my ignorance toward, towards the some of those early 2000s teams, but uh, that's, a, that's a big number, 1467. Right. It's pretty dang good. And then, like I said, you got to also incorporate culture into it. Now, I know college football is going down this whole path where sure. it's not about your geographic location. It's not about your culture. It's not about your brand of ball. It's about who's paying the biggest bucks and joining that conference. You know, there's talks of Miami either joining the SEC, which I feel like is not good for Miami, or joining the Big Ten, which I think would be great for Miami. Uh, joining there and playing some really good teams that'll force us to play some really good brand of football. Um, tight end you versus tight end you. We just settled on the field. Yay. Wouldn't that be perfect? Let's just do line it. up and go at it. See what happens. Uh, but then it's like, now you want to talk about offensive line you? You want to talk about uh, see, defensive tackle, I think Iowa's done really good there. You guys just landed the number one offensive tackle in the country, uh, beat out Alabama, but he's a local Iowa guy. He is. You know, and at, and at they have, the but they the haven't day, always been able to keep him in the state. Ross Pierschbacher is a guy who ended up going to Alabama several years back and had a good career at Alabama. Yeah. And I mean, so they haven't already. It is something uh, unique that that Kirk Ferentz has done these last two years, getting two five stars from Central Iowa to stay home. That that's tough to do when Alabama and you know the big boys, Ohio State and yeah. Georgia, come calling. And you know who the recruiter was for uh, that office alignment that left Iowa to come to Bama. For Pierce Bacher? Yeah. Who? Mario Cristobal. Wow. The funny story about that. Wow. Uh, how do you know that? Curious, how do you know that? Um, <laughs> that's a weird that's a weird uh, that's a weird fact to know. <laughs> uh, Ross Piercebacher's recruiter was Mario Cristobal. Uh listen, I've been coming to program for a while. I'm a big I study a lot. I study a lot, a lot, a lot. So you uh, remember watched Pierce Bacher? Absolutely, absolutely. Because he was a he was a four, like a high four star, I think, according to most. But like, that's not like some great player in Alabama standards. Like he's right. a good recruit, but not according <laughs> to Alabama standards. He wasn't great. Right now, mainly he was brought in, and he was a guard center kind of hybrid. Yeah, and he started some games. He wasn't some elite prospect. And, had his coffee in the NFL. I don't know if he's still around, but here's the main reason why I know that story. Nick Saban talks really highly of Mario Cristobal, our current head coach. Okay. And uh, the story that he likes to tell 
is that him and Mario Cristobal almost got in a car accident. <laughs> Here's why. Mario Cristobal is crazy, is, is a very fired up guy. And they go into Iowa to recruit. Uh, and they're going to find this young man. Now, Mario Cristobal is a Cuban-American, born and raised in Miami, Florida. And he's never seen snow. <laughs> and he's driving. Uh-oh. He refused to let Coach Saban drive. He's like, you're the head coach. I work for you. I got you. And uh, <laughs> now Nick has had his time, you know, played at, at Kent State. He's you know, coached at Michigan State. He's been in the snow before. And he understands how you're supposed to drive. Well, Coach yeah. Cristobal <laughs> decides to drive in snow. And he's going like 10 miles an hour <laughs> trying to get there. They're running late. And, uh, you know, Coach Say was like, man, get, I'm going to drive. It's all right. I'm the head coach. I know what I'm So it's one of those funny stories he likes to tell about the fact that how tenacious, and, you know, Coach Cristobal was. But it was one of those moments where he was like, I got the will. And that's, and that's interesting. That Some of those high-profile recruits, because of course Nick Saban and Kirk Ferentz coached on the same NFL staff for a time uh, in, let's see, in, in Cleveland. In Cleveland, um, correct. And um, yeah, that's that's fascinating. Now we'll say this as it relates to we're kind of getting off topic, but the offensive line debate. If I'm an offensive lineman, unless I'm concerned with winning national championships, and I'm certainly not saying that that shouldn't be a concern of a college kid, but unless I'm concerned with that, I think Caden Proctor made the right decision. And I agree a thousand percent, dude. Yeah. Uh, you're going to go first round irregardless, but it's about who's coaching. The Iowa culture at offensive line is elite. When Coach Cristobal was up at Oregon, he had built an amazing, you know, factor on that offensive line. Well, and Bama just spits out first rounders. That's what it is. But you're the hometown young man. Oh, man. Well, I'll say this. I just looked up Ross Pierschbacher. He is... Um, you know, of course, he originally committed to Iowa. He is listed as the backup center for New York, the Jets. Okay, so he's still in there. Beautiful. So he's still Beautiful. around. Uh, now he was um, he was drafted in the fifth round. Now I'm not saying that Iowa would have produced made him a first round draft pick, right. but man, he was a highly touted kid. That I mean, if he goes in the it's fifth still, round and dude. ends up not being a starting, I can still hear you. A starting offensive lineman in the NFL to me. I'm not calling him a bust, but uh, you almost wonder, like, that's an example of, I think, had he come to Iowa, one could argue that he may have been able to uh, stick to stick in the NFL. And again, he's I'm sure he's he's doing just fine. But, um, yeah, I, I like the decision from Caden Proctor. And I, I think Iowa has a, a – I don't know that they compare. I'd have to look at the top schools. A tight end you debate is such a – tight end is such a unique position. It's easy to have this – discussion and, and come up with a few schools off the top of your head. I think it's going to be, it would be harder to come up with an offensive line. You debate because I mean, Iowa has a claim in there. I don't probably think they're at the top. I was also done a really nice job producing DBs and I'm not trying to say that they'd have a claim there either, but Iowa, if you look at the numbers, I believe they're top five right now for number of NFL players on active rosters. And you're talking lists that include Bama Clemson, like all the powers, Bama Clemson, Ohio state, then Iowa, and then like a bunch of other powers. I mean, I was really such an outlier as it relates to the NFL because it's not just one or two positions. Now, they do have some positions they just don't produce. I mean, wide receivers, a position they don't produce. Quarterbacks, a position they don't produce. They don't produce NFL running backs. I mean, they've had one or two here and there, but those are the, those skill positions especially, and that's, of course, what holds Iowa back from being elite in college, right? I mean, you're, you <laughs> you get a, a five-star quarterback in or you, you, know, you start producing NFL running backs like Wisconsin has done. Compare, you, know, you pair that with the tight ends and the special teams units they've had and the defenses, we're talking about an elite program. So it's such a unique program. I've been around, I've been an Iowa fan my whole life. Um, it's are such a, a unique. Are you an alum? Did you go there? No, I did not. I did not go to, but I grew up in central Iowa. And okay. I actually live in Ames now, so I live in in Cyclone territory. But I, I, I mean, I, I, I I'm an Iowa guy, and, and I, I still view it, even though I'm an Iowa guy, and this is what I'm used to. I still view it as such a unique place. Like, right. there's no other school in the country that can say they've had two head coaches in the last 44 years. Like, that's insane. That is an the only absolute... other place you could say would be Tallahassee, but they just let go of theirs. They had Bobby sure. Bowden and then uh, Jimmy Jimbo Fisher, but now they've had four, so it, it kind of. And, grew and, and how long right. was how long was Paterno at Penn State? A hundred. 
felt like it. <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head. At least forty years. Yeah, because because that he of course obviously now they've had a, a couple a couple guys right, but Penn State's been pretty. I won't right. say clean. That's the wrong word to use when we're talking about Penn State. <laughs> Definitely the wrong word when we're talking about Penn State. But as far as not a high number of coaches. <laughs> definitely definitely penn state would be in that conversation that was a good one that um, was a good one but like uh it. man i appreciate you having me on this has been enjoyable i hope we can talk another day with mark i was kind of disappointed when mark said he wasn't gonna be able to make it but i thought you know what uh th- this is a, a fun conversation and i think we could have this debate again measuring nfl stats because if, if, if we if people want to make that a criteria that's i think a different discussion Absolutely. And I, like I said, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I got all that NFL stats already written up, too. So we, we can go there because then I think it flips, you know, a bunch of the guys I had on the higher end of that list because of their NFL production flip and guys that right. didn't really have the best NFL their college careers hopped up and had great, you know, Hall of Fame. And, and uh, George NFL Kittle, players. George Kittle is a perfect example of that. I mean, we're right. talking a late round pick and a guy who. He struggled to stay healthy. When he got to Iowa, he was he looked like he should have been in like eighth grade. Like he was a skinny kid that, you know, is probably, you know, participating in Battle of the Books throughout high school. Like he's not, he didn't look like a football player. And that now he's like this WWE WrestleMania guy. So it is odd how some of these guys develop and some of them, you know, develop late. You got to give work ethic a bit, you know, that's a big part of it. But I think the culture, and you brought up the culture at the college level, that is an aspect of this as well. And I'd say stability, like it's going to be harder for a school that doesn't have stability with its coaching staff to be university of anything, right? Like right. Penn state, we brought up tight end. They've, they've been able to stay pretty consistent. Obviously James Franklin's been there. Seems like he's been there for 10 years now. I don't think I it's think been, he has. has he been there 10 been years seven, now? Six or seven, somewhere in there, but it's going to be hard to bandy. Be- and then he took that step when O'Brien left Penn state. Right. It's going to be hard to cons- consistently produce a position for the NFL if you're constantly changing coaching staffs that have different philosophies and different values. Right. Now, the conversation, we could just go all, all day with this because I, I love those kind of conversations. I mean, there's only one, the you, but there's plenty of other people who like to have different views or whatever. Sure. But I look at Alabama, you know, all this production, all these NFL first rounders. They're not even really in conversation. Like, because I guess at the end of the day, people stand out, but then it felt like under the, the, the last regime of Alabama taking over college football, not too many of their players really stand out. It's just like you could right. you could look at uh similar to USC, you could rip the last names off of some of those jerseys to where you don't know these young men uh by name. And then you would still see some of the same production and, and some of the same scheme wise. But, you know, what made Miami great was the way that it stood out with swag and attitude and tenacity and things of that nature. You look at Iowa, uh, you had, what's, I don't know his last name is King. Is it Corey King? Desmond. Desmond King. I mean, he was he a first or a second rounder? Oh, I think he well, – that's a good question. I know he was going to be a first-rounder, and he came back, which was probably a mistake in hindsight. He came back for that 16th season. But, yeah, King, Greg Maben, Josh Jackson's not been great in the NFL, but he was a really good product coming into the league. Who was the um, one that caught that one-hander? That was Jackson. That was Josh okay. Jackson. He had yeah, three he and had a hat a trick in that game, three picks in that game against Ohio State. Good God. <laughs> hey, and and the other thing is, that. too, when you have a coach like Phil Parker, talk about stability. I mean, he's been the defensive backs coach here since Kirk took over. So, I mean, you can you understand why Iowa can stake a claim for DBU because, I mean, everybody loves uh, Phil Parker, Amari Spivay. We didn't mention him. Jovan Johnson, who was an all-conference guy. I mean, who's the guy you guys have now? <clears throat> well, Riley Moss was the defensive back of the year uh, last year, and I think is he a corner or safety? He's a corner. Okay, is he like uh, this? Is really controversial. Is he like the only white corner in college football? I mean, he's the only white corner that I know about. I, I, it was mind blowing. I was like, "Is he?" Well, he, here's the deal, and I'm not saying this has got nothing to do with race. And you brought this up, right? Right. Uh, I don't. 
how do I put this delicately? If you, if anybody watches my channel, I'm a little bit nervous with the Riley Moss hype because he was named defensive back of the year last year, largely based upon taking a lot of chances and getting a lot of picks and Uh-oh. those votes. And, and, and he got burned at times. And I think those kind of got overlooked. I, He's got some things to prove because if he didn't, he'd be in the league now. He opted to come back for an extra year because I think the scouts said, hey, you need an extra year. So I'm still skeptical on him. He's a good cornerback. And yeah, you're right. We don't see a lot of white corners. There was a guy years ago in the league that was a decent white corner. It was a, I think he played for the Giants. You know what I'm talking about? It was about? like a thing. It was like a yes. it's 20 years or 15. Like it was a, and again, having things in and we're having a respectful conversation. Absolutely. We're not attacking either yeah. or. No. I'm saying this because when people screen record and say blah, 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 no. blah, hopefully they leave this part in the video. But sure. uh, there was a dude. <laughs> Uh, who was a, a he played for the Washington Giants? He went to play for the Giants. Yeah. Now the guy, oh, Seahorn Giants, and he played at USC. That's right. Then this past year, they had the first guy who broke the mold again, and he played for uh, for the Washington who, who is that? Commanders. Now I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he okay. he was all over Twitter, and everybody was like, "Finally, we can get over that. <laughs> That's not a joke anymore." Yeah, yeah we, we, we we're we're a lack of white guys in the NFL. That we're coming right, to exactly. Here. And like we always oh. say, that you know, it has nothing to do with it. We have biracial black or white quarterbacks. Yeah. We got white Absolutely. and black offensive linemen, and all kinds of stuff. So stuff has really gone past that, and. You know, thank God for it that we've kind of gotten past that kind of. Well, and I'll say this: I have no doubt Riley Moss will play in the league. I'm just skeptical that. I mean, defensive back of the year, you would think, hey, he's the defensive back of the year in the Big Ten, and he's from Iowa. He's going to be a first or second round draft pick. And I'll tell you this right now: in no way is he right now would he go in the first or second round. He'd probably get a late flyer, maybe maybe fourth round, but you're probably talking like fifth or sixth. So he'll play in the league, and then you're right; he's still one of the few white corners in the league, but. He's got some things to prove. Um, Xavier Wampa is a five-star safety. He's a kid that played with Caden Proctor at Southeast gotcha. Polk here in Central Iowa. So he'll be a safety, gotcha. likely be a safety at Iowa. Um, and uh, they actually have another guy who's, <laughs> interesting enough, we're talking about race, we got another guy who uh, was listed as a corner last year, and he's kind of play Iowa's hybrid linebacker safety hybrid position this year, De, uh, Cooper DeGene. He's a really athletic guy who can play corner, played a little corner late in the year last year. But uh, Phil Parker knows what he's doing in that in that respect. Um, there was something else that I wanted to bring up to you, and I, I'm blanking on uh, on what it was. Um, well, hopefully, we can have this conversation again, and I won't blank out. No, um, no, it, it, it was fun for me. I I definitely I was waiting, and I was like, oh man, we probably can't do it because uh, I know you probably were sending the information to Mark. And because we didn't have each other's content, but now we do. Yeah. So that's, that's now we do. I'll throw you this, this one. What do you think about college football expansion? I don't know if you've talked about this on your channel, but no. the big 10 has reached out and added uh, Los Angeles, you know, USC, UCLA. Some people are like, that's a bad culture fit. I think it's beautiful. I think if the big 10 had the argument of being like, Coast to coast, C to C, we cover all of college football. I think that would be beautiful. I've always felt like Pitt should be in the Big Ten. If you already have Penn State, but I get it. Pitt and, and Penn State. They don't there. really do anything for the conference financially. They no, don't really, yeah, I guess, yeah. You don't really do anything competitively. I mean, they had it obviously last year with Kenny Pickett, but I don't expect that program to – I mean, that, that program has not been consistently elite. Um in my lifetime. So, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I'm okay with the expansion to LA and it, it's a survival of the fittest right now. If I'm the big 10, I very much look at Florida, very much look at Florida. I'm not talking about Florida state. I'm talking about Miami. I think Georgia tech is an interesting player. I've said that for a while now. I think they're that's a very intriguing ad. I mean, that's an intriguing ad. If preach. I'm the big 10, if I'm the only the big- reason why I would say uh, is because they're an original SEC member. People don't know that. Georgia Tech is actually in the Alabama fight song. Like they used to, like Georgia Tech was in the original members of the SEC. So they may go back and join them, but they I think could. it would be a great combo. But again, what does that play. add? I don't think Georgia Tech adds anything for the SEC. They've already got Georgia. Competitively, Georgia Tech has not been real good since what late two thousand early uh, late two thousands like two thousand nine ten. Of course, they played Iowa in an Orange Bowl in two thousand ten. I, I think Georgia Tech's an interesting player because it would expand the footprint down into 
a very fertile recruiting ground. Certainly you get down into Miami. That's a whole different territory. I think Florida State is an interesting ad. They've got rich history. Um, lately, they've kind of been erratic. As you know, that program, um, it's just been a, a very strange series of events. <laughs> I mean, you go from I being national. I love every second of it. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, even um, Clemson is an interesting one. Do they end up in the – I expect them to end up in the SEC someday. Yeah. But is that the best move for them? Probably, but I, I don't know. Um, I do think Oregon, Washington are good, good considerations. I don't have a problem with Stanford. Um, I don't know that Cal is a is a, a great option simply because it doesn't seem like they really value academics, or excuse me, value athletics. They value academics. Right. They don't really value athletics. And I think in the Big Ten, you got to have both. It right. might be the most well versed conference in in all of college football. Well, yeah, they've got standards that uh, I think some fans who are just care about the athletic side of things don't really understand. But they do, you know, they want everybody to be an AAU school. Right now, Nebraska's not. They they lost that accreditation. Now, is Miami an AAU school? That's a question for you. No. So that's going to be I, a problem. I don't think they ever. I don't know if they ever applied for it. They could. I mean, we rank in the top fifty in, in the country, so we could easily apply for it if need be. It's got to do with something with research, and I, again, I don't know how all that works, but that's that's been a continued topic. But no, I would say, if, and if I'm answering your question, I'm fine with the USC UCLA moves from the traditionalist point of view. I understand why people don't like it because you know they think of conferences being conferences as being regional, and that's just not that's not even that's just not the facts anymore. That's not, there's a conference in college basketball. I don't remember which conference it is, but there's a conference in college basketball that's playing schools on the East and West coast already. So this is happening. And now that it's happening with power five schools and in college football, you know, people are starting to worry, but it it is what it is. It's, you can't control it. The sec has made moves with adding Oklahoma and Texas to where if you don't respond and you can't respond, like there are no moves in the big 10 footprint from a regional point of view there are no moves in the Big Ten uh, footprint that even come close to being able to even the scales with SEC. The only way the Big Ten can do that is adding USC, UCLA, which they did. And I think potentially, I shouldn't say there's nobody. Notre Dame would certainly help. You add Notre Dame. And I think if you add Notre Dame, USC, yeah. and UCLA, then I think we're close. If the SEC adds Miami, Florida State, and Clemson, then I'd still give the SEC the nod. If Iowa or if the Big Ten then added Oregon and Washington, maybe it, it'd still give the SEC a slight edge. But this is just a battle of the fittest, and the Big Ten had to make a move, and I think they made a good move. I think it was a great move because now here's the thing. you got to be able to pull eyes, right? Now, helmets yeah. on the football field is one thing. That's what people who love football care about. But the ADs, and, and they care about another thing, the the construct and the quality of matchups and finances that come in, right? But then the people who sign their checks, okay, the higher-ups, all they care about is eyes, ratings, and money, okay? The University of Miami has, has won 10 games one time in the last 12 years or 15 years, okay? And we still pull great ratings when we play certain Absolutely. Things. It's just it, it, it is what it is. OK, now the University of Iowa or is, is it Iowa University or the University of Iowa? University of Iowa. OK, the University of Iowa. I don't know if they pull ratings, big ratings unless I mean, Iowa, Iowa State is a great game every year. How many people nationally turn in and watch that game? That's a good question. Mark would know. <laughs> I don't you know. know. Well, yeah, he would know that off the top of his head. But when you guys were upset in Ohio State, that last half of that, it was like. Everybody tuning in to see why, because Ohio sure. State was losing. It wasn't about the quality of ball that Iowa was producing. The year prior to that, you all beat a top three-ranked Michigan team that was supposed to ride off into the sunset, okay? And they lost on the road at Iowa, okay? And the reason those ratings at the end of the year were high, why? Because you were beating Michigan. It wasn't about Iowa. Right. So when I look at what the Big Ten can do, they could legit have an argument of having – a marquee program in all big football states like uh, like Ohio, like California, like Florida. If they were the at the University of Miami, I don't think. And also, Miami has always been different from everyone else in the state. Geographically, 
we're we're borderline South America. Like we're we're the Caribbean island, you know, yeah. geographically speaking. We're not the Florida Gators. We don't handle things in the way that we carry ourselves and play like the Florida Gators. We definitely don't carry ourselves and act the way Tallahassee does. So they can go join the SEC geographically. It makes sense for them. It fits for them. Thumbs up. For Miami, I think going to the Big Ten makes a lot of sense. We're a really high academic institution. When it comes to research, our big thing is you health. And it's uh, uh, trying to find a cure for cancer. And also, we have really big uh, sea aquatic research with helping in, in that department and cleaning the earth and all that kind of stuff. And that's their thing. So they probably can get an AAU because they do those other kinds of things. Right. But talk about matchups. The four teams that would be a perfect addition for you all, two of them you already got. The other two would be pulling Notre Dame out of the independent yeah. and going down and grabbing Miami out of out of uh, Miami. And it would be – that to me would be a big boom, and the SEC would have to go, okay. Better, better add, though, Miami or Clemson. Hey, it's got to be Clemson, right? I mean, right now – yeah. Yeah. It's probably still Clemson. Are you assuming then that Clemson ends up in the SEC? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've always wanted to be that. They're still pissed because here's the funny part. <clears throat> Clemson and South Carolina, I'm a historian. Clemson and South Carolina both used to be ACC teams. Right. And they're still pissed that they chose South Carolina over Clemson. And South Carolina got into the SEC instead of Clemson. I mean, they've always wanted to be known as, as an SEC program, but right there in the heart of SEC country, it kind of just makes sense. Well, the I do wonder. is UNC. I think North Carolina would be a great addition for Big Ten also. But do you split up Duke and North Carolina? That's the question. Do you split those two teams up? Absolutely. I mean, whatever. Well, we're talking about this from a football perspective, but those two schools care about basketball, right? I mean, I, I'd uh... add them too if you want to. Yeah, we Duke know is- Duke could definitely. I mean, who wouldn't want to watch Duke and Northwestern, right? The battle of Bro, the hey, intellects. Listen, from an <laughs> from an academic standpoint, those schools would fit the fit the bill, right? Absolutely, North Carolina's big. Virginia, Virginia is an amazing academic institution. They would fit in, but I mean, here now you have to start to bridge those conversations. So let me ask you this: How big do you think the Big Ten would want to get? That's a tough question. I mean, we're we're speculating on. Uh, I think I do think we're going to have surprises. Like all the speculation out there. I mean, since the moves to to add USC and, and UCLA, the talk has been Oregon, Washington. That was where it went first, and then we got wind. Oh, Stanford's in the mix. They want Notre Dame, which we all they've always wanted Notre Dame. But those are basically the those are basically the schools that get brought up. I don't know that. I think we're going to have surprises. So. Do I think they'll get to 20 teams? Is that the end goal in time? 24? It may be 24. I, I don't know. I can't even envision what college football looks like if the SEC and the Big Ten both end up with 24. I don't even really know what that looks like. I mean, scheduling models and revenue sharing, I just don't know what that looks like anymore um, because you don't have like networks. You have enough networks to support these games. You know, how, how do. It's just it's an odd, odd situation, and it's just like the world. The rich keep getting richer. It's going to be that you know the SEC is going and the Big Ten are going to continue to pull away from these other conferences. And I know the Pac-12s in a fight to try to survive. And you know the Big the Big Twelve did all they could last year. You, I think you and I would both agree they did everything they could last year with four solid ads. And despite those ads, they're still not even close to what the Big Ten and the SEC have moving forward. So. There are no more moves to make. The only moves to make are the ones we assume will happen. And that, at least up until I've had this conversation with you, I've always assumed since this discussion that Miami, Clemson, Florida State all end up in the SEC, which means the Big Ten has to get Oregon, Washington, Notre Dame, of course, USC and UCLA. And if they do that, then the, the stakes are similar. And then, you know, who adds who? Is there a Georgia Tech in the mix? We talked about Pittsburgh. So I don't know if the end game is 20 or 24. Um, the, the one thing Mark and I always talk about is college football. One thing I love college football. I know you love college football. The one thing about the sport that's so irritating is everything takes so long to happen, to ha- actually happen. And the playoff expansion and all that. I mean, these oh, things were, t- we're having the schedules released. We had, had a schedule 
bleak. Iowa playing Northern Iowa in 2029. Right. I mean, who cares? That shouldn't be a thing. That <laughs> but it is. It is. Yeah. Why do we do that? You know, the NFL yeah. makes, you know, releases their schedule just months before the season starts. That's the way it should be done. And I, I would get more excited in talking about expansion. I know people like to talk about it, but I get more excited if these things weren't years down the road. And I believe we have to wait till what, 2024 for the for USC and UCLA to join the Big Ten? So right. it's, it's, it's it seems so far away. And see, that's that's why I say we could I could talk about college football for eight hours. That doesn't bother me. Here's, yeah. here's my thing. We gotta be able to have, I think having a college football commission True. would yeah. be big. A czar. Right. Because I look at I don't I don't mind the NFL model. I like watching NFL games, but I know what I'm looking at. I'm looking at pro ball. Okay, the difference in those games isn't about the fact that the young man didn't get enough sleep last night because he's crying on the phone with his girlfriend because she wants she's mad at him about this and he had to stay up and write a paper of that and blah blah right. blah and he had to still show up and go play ball the next day. These guys out here are all either hundred thousandaires or millionaires and they're the best players and some of the best coaches going at it. Okay, we'll just see what happens and they all shake hands and ride off into the sunset. Right. The step below, it's a little bit more visceral, okay? When when NC State plays UNC, it's not about shaking hands and kissing babies. You know, I want to destroy you, okay? And, and that's just how it is. We take a little bit more pride in that. I, I even look at, I'm a Ravens fan. Uh, my mother is a Steelers fan. And when they played, you know, it was just like, oh, okay, well, your Steelers won. My Ravens lost. If my mom happened to be a Tallahassee fan, we probably wouldn't speak for about a week. <laughs> You know, that's just how that's how serious we take it yeah. at the college football level. But all this pro talk and having Nick Saban being like the person who's always talking about the pro model, the pro model, the pro model. I don't know. Maybe we look a year from today and both teams are basically both conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC, are basically trying to make two big 32 team conferences, split her down the middle, you know, have the 14 pods that play each other. You go from there. Heck, the ACC did the new pod, the three three five pod. So maybe they're even trying that out there. So all we know is that college football will never look the same. No, it just is. It and and, and just to piggyback on this, and then we can we can we can end this discussion. Um, the NIL, the you know, to have all this paired with NIL is a wicked combination. Maybe wicked's the wrong. I don't want to give the wrong impression i know right not a negative connotation yeah yeah. it's just a crazy crazy combination and i i don't know what the future you talked about a commissioner and a czar we need somebody in 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 charge that can look at this and say okay how do we logistically and legally make a salary cap for players because if you don't it's just going to be what i brought up the rich getting richer literally these universities that that have the most money that can that can pay for their rosters. And I think University of Miami, I mean, that's a I mean, look at the deal that Nigel Pack got. I mean, I don't think Miami is going to be suffering from NIL, but teams like Iowa could. So um it's all it's such a it's an unsteady landscape, but you I think if you're Iowa, you're happy. You're Miami's in a better position as it relates to NIL. Iowa is in a better position right now as it relates to conference. Um, where they where they lie in their co- respective conference, but I do think Miami, somebody will want Miami, whether the big the Big Ten or the SEC. When the time comes, somebody will want Miami. Right, and and for all we know, we could be the Rebels and join the Big Twelve. I I, I don't know what happened. Now we also have to understand that this is in conversation that the ACC is just going to fall apart. Well, the ACC is not a bad conference. Yes, no. we just have Clemson and everyone else kind of behind them. There's a clear tier one Clemson. There's a clear tier but two. There doesn't like have to be. State. There doesn't right, have we'll to be. We'll see. I'm just saying as far as right now. We'll see yeah. once we start playing games. But, you know, who's to say that the ACC doesn't partner with the Big 12 and they become a, a combo? You, you never know. So I think that it's going to be between the Big 10 and the SEC because those are the, clearly the best two conferences. And- but the, to- the, pro- the programs with the most potential in the ACC at the top far outweigh the programs with the most potential in the big 12. I don't think it's even close. Like you look at what Clemson, the history there, even just recent history, you look at the history of Miami, Florida state, just take those three schools. 
what three schools in the Big 12 can can even come close to that? Now that Alabama or excuse me, Oklahoma and Texas are gone. I mean, who who are we looking at? Texas, uh, Texas Tech. Yeah. Who, who are we looking at? There's Baylor not, and OU or Baylor I mean, and Oak State. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, B, yeah, BYU is maybe in that. Con- which, that's crazy. They weren't even part of a Power Five conference, and they're not even part of a Power Five conference yet. So, you know, the ACC is definitely in third place as it relates to positioning, and I still think the Pac-12, because of the fact the Pac-12 still has Oregon and Washington, who each have somewhat rich histories to some extent. Um, they have uh, more to offer um, in realignment than than the Big 12 does. Absolutely. I agree a thousand percent. Man, what a great show. I, I appreciate it, man. Thank I you. I appreciate so you much having me. I'm glad on. you looked at the super, the live chat. I'm like, you know, Mark, and I did see he just texted me back. I know he had something come up, but I'm glad uh, we, we touched base and um, we'll definitely do this again. Just anytime you just uh, shoot me a, you got my Twitter now, shoot me a, a text, shoot me a DM and we'll, We'll delve into the tight end, maybe the NFL end of, of things next time. Heck yeah, I would love to do that. And then, you know, once things are answered, you know, maybe we find out where Miami's going or whatever. Um, heck, we could even do a, a halfway through the season review of both our teams and, and things of that nature. Yeah, I would love it. All right, man. Appreciate the All time. Right, thank you.